0: I'm Carissa Andrews, international best-selling indie author and CEO of Author Revolution. With more than 15 books published, it's safe to say I have made a ton of mistakes in my endeavor to become a full-time author. The most important thing that I've learned in the past decade is that indie authors need to protect their creativity and their serenity. Being an author is a long game, and that's why I'm on a mission to teach other indies just like you how to publish books with a sustainable, rapid-release method I created the Author Revolution Podcast to give you insights and actionable step-by-step strategies to help you do just that. If you're an ambitious author or one in the making who's looking to create a long-term author career and a life you love, you've found your tribe, my friend. Let's get your author revolution underway. Hi again, indie author. Boy, do I have a special podcast episode for you today. I have to admit there are very few people who I'm nervous to talk to anymore, but today's podcast guest was definitely one of them. I've been following Joanna Penn's career since I first started out in 2010. At that time, she was still a semi-newbie, having only been published for two years, but she was already commanding the space as a guru and someone to keep your eyes on. I started following Joanna on Twitter, and I remember even chatting with her a number of times as I tried to get my indie author hat planted on my head. She's always been a wealth of information and incredibly kind, compassionate, and patient with those who are willing to listen and learn. Now, for those of you who don't know who Joanna is, she is the acclaimed podcast host of the Creative Pen Podcast. She's also a speaker, fiction and nonfiction author, and a futurist. Because of this, she has some of the most incredible insights into where the indie author industry is headed, all while being firmly rooted in its modern origin story. We're about to talk about some things that just might blow your mind. I know it did mine. So I won't make you wait any longer. Let's get started. Thank you so much, Joanna, for joining the Author Revolution podcast. I am, like I've said before we started the show, super excited that you are here today kind of a little intimidated and nervous, but we're going to get through it. (laughs) And for those who might be uh, not in the know yet, could you explain who you are and what it is you do and why authors should be perking their ears right now?
1: Oh, well, thanks for having me. And uh, I I write nonfiction as Joanna Penn. And I have a podcast, the Creative Penn podcast, which uh, I started in 2009. So it's a bit of a a long running series. Uh, I'm always excited to be on other people's podcasts, though. So it's always nice to be on the other side of the microphone. Uh, So yeah, and then I also write thrillers and dark fantasy and crime as JF Penn. And I have another podcast, the books and travel podcast, where I talk about books and travel and interview people on the places that inspire their writing so I guess I I have those two sides to my character and I guess over the years I've talked about all kinds of aspects uh, of of writing and publishing and book marketing and yeah I think so much has changed since I started sort of 2006 to 2008 but one thing remains and that we are writers you know we write books and we have readers and we want to get them into people's hands and yeah so there you go.
0: Oh my gosh! And it's so fascinating to me. You you are all over with so many different passions and things that you are really interested in. And when I first started writing, oh, you know, back in 2010, like I was following you even back then, and and I remember thinking, wow, this this lady is going to be going somewhere because I could already see kind of your divergence. You you were doing you know multiple things at once, and I think you're writing your first
1: thriller novel. I want to say pen. Pente- yeah, it was Pentecost, which I later wrote, yeah, and republished as stone of fire. So it's out there a stone of fire now. But yeah, I mean, that's brand author branding is a whole nother topic,
0: <laughs> right? Well, so speaking of that, did like before I talk about the author branding part of it, did you always already like know in the very beginning when you were doing your fiction side and your nonfiction that you would want to help indies kind of learn how to do? their own natural, you know, their own stuff. Did that come naturally because of what you were learning or like, how did, how did the teaching other Indies come about for you?
1: Right. Well, I think it's very important for people to know that most of us just start doing things and then things happen. And so basically what happened is when I first self-published, this was before the Kindle, I was living in Australia, I was doing a lot of speaking. And in the speaking community, a lot of people self-publish and you know, print books. That's what you do. You sell them at the back of the room. So I was self-publishing. But what happened is I got ripped off a number of times in that first oh, no. year. Oh, and there, is, there are always scams. There are scams, 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 right? So I... I, there weren't many people talking about writing or publishing at the time. Self-publishing was uh, sort of not trendy at the time. So, right. I, so basically, I start. I wanted to tell people about the issues and the challenges that I was facing so I started the creative pen it was actually my third blog and I started it in order to share my journey and to share my lessons learned because I I was like this is terrible I don't want other people to get ripped off like this this was um paid compilation books this is still a thing Uh, yeah and, and also um you know this sort of pay this much join a bestseller thing and I mean these things have been going on for decades but um, i also at the time i had printed 2000 books and then didn't know how to sell them and this was before print right. on demand really took off so i was learning all this stuff and i just wanted to share so i started my blog in december 2008 then i then I, I was like do you know i don't have any author friends i was working as an it consultant i i literally didn't know any other authors and the people that i approached in writing groups they were like oh you're self-published uh you're kind Mm -hmm. of second (laughs) second yeah we got that too yeah so they didn't want to know me and so I was living in Australia and I saw these wonderful Americans and these Americans (laughs) were doing great things and they were not snobby at all they were like yay we're we're self-publishing we're independent authors and I was like oh yeah I want to be one of those so I started this was really before the phrase indie author even became a thing So Mm -hmm. uh, I started podcasting in order to make friends. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know how it goes. You're a podcaster. You get to talk to people who you might not have been able to talk to otherwise. And that is, yeah, that's huge. And a lot of the people along the way, you know, I'm an introvert and I've made real friends in real life through my podcast. And uh, so that's been very valuable. But yeah, I guess I've, I always, I did have a desire to be like a Tony Robbins self help type of person. Uh, and that was always something I wanted to do, but I certainly never expected it to go the way it is. And to be honest, all I really do in my books and my podcast is I continue to share what I learn along the way. Um, so as as my own career has developed, I've just written books about it and podcasts about it. And as obviously, as you know, you write fiction as well, as you write novels, you learn things. And so I think it's yeah. just been a natural progression of what I learn, I share. And um, what's interesting about being a writer is you don't ever stop learning. So I think, <laughs> I mean, I never. Often think, yeah, I should really stop, stop doing this stuff. And then I'm like, yeah, but I just learned all this new stuff, and I want to share that too. So when I stop learning, I will stop sharing. But until then, I guess I'm still going.
0: <laughs> I-, I think you're going to keep doing it until you die. Then I'm sorry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I don't think it's going to stop.
1: <laughs> no, and that and that's the truth of life. And what's so interesting to me with people coming in, you know, you people are like, oh, I I published my first book in 2015, and I'm like, okay, so great. So your reality is around the world as it was in 2015. So for example, Kindle Unlimited, when I started publishing, there was no Kindle, let alone Kindle Unlimited. So it's like things change all the time. uh, And we adjust and we change and we keep learning and we change the way we do business. Uh, But again, the things that remain are, you know, the writing.
0: Absolutely. So I think I read somewhere, it might have been um, on your blog actually, where you said that you started in in uh, two thousand. There we go, not twenty anymore. Two thousand and eight, uh, <laughs> doing your nonfiction stuff. But then by the time I kind of entered your sphere on Twitter, you were doing, you know, doing the fiction stuff. So did you have any trouble separating the the two kind of very distinct genres? You you said you know your fiction stuff is JF Penn, your uh, nonfiction is Joanna. So was that hard for you to be able to, to keep the two pen names straight? Or did you know right away? Yep, I got to keep these separate. I know that there are a lot of authors that really struggle with sometimes multiple genres where it's that distinct, but sometimes it's like, you know, they've got paranormal romance, and then they've got cozy mystery or something. Was that mm. difficult at all for you?
1: well again when I started there was none of this stuff was really being talked about so I actually published the first three novels under Joanna Penn and so I had everything under Joanna Penn I had one website the creative pen and uh, so people can find in fact at thecreativepen.com forward slash first novel that's my sort of journey of that first novel and it's hilarious oh. I keep this stuff and there are YouTube videos and and I'm like oh my goodness I've just discovered characters and I just <laughs> learned about dialogue and it's really funny and I keep it as evidence of you know what I didn't know but one of those things is and I guess this is one of the pros and cons of being self-published is the pros are you can do anything you like and the cons are you can do anything you like and then you realize later it was a mistake
0: (laughs) yes yes you are
1: not free of the consequences (laughs) but what is great is you can fix it right so yeah uh, i my first three books were um pentecost prophecy and exodus which people might know if you have any religious upbringing that these are quite religious words with meanings in in a christian context and i have a master's degree in theology but i'm not a christian so what happened was all these people were like this isn't a Christian thriller why is this got a, a religious name and I'm like okay so that was one thing another thing I got was you know Joanna is a feminine name and uh, obviously a woman and yep. I got reviews on my first books which were I can't believe a woman wrote this as in what? I know <laughs> I know this is kind of, this was before Gone Girl. This is before female thriller writers were more of a thing. Um, For the same reason that J.K. Rowling wrote under, you know, J.K., in male-dominated genres, people use... Um, initials in the same way that men writing in romance often use female pseudonyms. So we can lament this uh, to our heart's content, but whatever. <laughs> so I was like, okay, so around 2012, I had these three novels that I was like, yeah, I think the titles are wrong. <laughs> I, I also was like, okay, I need to separate this because That was also when we were starting to learn about the algorithms and about how also bots worked. And I was like, okay, I need and I needed to separate my email list. And at that point, I had to, I basically republished, rebranded. It was such a pain. I redid the covers, the names, the books. I I did all kinds of things to separate the two. And it was painful, let me tell you. But I am so happy. I'm so happy I did it. And it was most liberating for me. It was great for the algorithms it was good for my email list I can be different people and that really helps now in terms of how many names (laughs) I, I totally get why people struggle and if you are only algorithm driven then yeah it makes sense to have more than one pen name but I think if you want to be sanity driven and life driven <laughs> then don't have too many especially if you want to do social media if you want to do podcasting like this if you want to do Great. email lists um you ca- I find managing two active names pretty difficult um my mum also writes under Penny Appleton and I kind of manage her books that sweet romance and but but I can't do that in an active way. So what I would say to people listening is don't go too over the top. So I have thrillers, dark fantasy, horror, crime under JF Penn. And it is difficult for sure because I mix okay. genres and some people do not yep. cross series at all. So some people are like, why don't you write another arcane thriller?
0: <laughs> and yep, I'm like, well, yep. I'm writing
1: this fantasy right now or whatever. Uh, but yeah, you- I think if you have this long-term perspective, and you're really thinking about how you want your career to be for decades, then make it easier on yourself. <laughs> Don't have <laughs> <Absolutely>. too many. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Now, how many books do you have out now? It's a lot, right?
1: Uh, it's plus 32-ish, I think. Wow. That is fantastic. Well, but it's so funny because of course, you know, I mean, you you and I both know people like Lindsay Baroka, who started at the same time as me, and she has like 70 or 80 books now. Oh my
0: goodness. <laughs> That's that blows my mind as well. Holy cow. Oh, and
1: yeah. And also Lindsay's are about three times as long as mine, each of the books. So she oh. basically <laughs> has the equivalent of like nearly 200 books to my
0: Oh my OD. goodness. That is <laughs> the insane. Other thing, it Love is it.
1: insane but it's also really important to remember that we can't compare ourselves to writers who do things differently and who live a different life. And that's so important. You know, Lindsay's a friend of mine, but we're quite different people and we live different lives. And she writes like all the time. And I'm more of a binge writer, I guess. I, you know, and I, I might, call a good day, 2000 words. And she calls a good day, 10,000 words. So we, wow. we can't compare ourselves to other people. So sure. I have over 30 books. Um, and, but that doesn't matter. If you're writing your first book, we all start with no books. Mm-hmm. We all start with nobody listening. We all start with no one on our email list. So just go at your own pace. Really? Don't, Absolutely. don't force it. I think that's important.
0: What have you found? Um, when it comes to like when you've gotten in your rhythm now you've been doing this for over a decade. do you know like roughly how many books you you will publish in a single year? or is it something that kind of you just kind of wing and see what how your year goes?
1: Yeah, I pretty much I'm very muse driven. Um, I don't write to market, I don't uh, rapid release. I know you advocate that. but um, I don't write in genres that even necessary I'm not in KU for my names Um, I don't yeah I I, again I have a very long-term perspective and I cannot do anything that I I chose to do this career because I want to write what I love to write and what I love to read and the difficulty is I, I read across so many genres I mean I read hours every day and I read tons of different books so my my own work is very cross genre, and I just I love I love doing that but it makes it very far more difficult to sell but it does make it satisfying to write so as far Absolutely. as I'm concerned I'm writing for the longer term and I just write the books that my muse really really wants to write so although I have an idea like in my head like I have a list of about 12 novels that I've got vague Ideas for, and I've got about six nonfiction <laughs> that I've got ideas for, uh, and they have yep. sort of one-liners in my um, folders. You know, one's called the South Pacific boat. That's literally all I have, and I know approximately what that is. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> but what I mean, would you like I, that <laughs> exactly. But I went on um, a boat across the South Pacific in the year to uh, nineteen ninety nine. So okay. that book has had a long time to to think about it and it's still not ready to come out as such whereas Mm -hmm. uh another book so the shadow book which I've been talking about for at least five years openly and something I studied around the Jungian shadow in psychology back when I even did A-level so age 18 so that book that's the book I'm writing at the moment so it's taken a long time (laughs) right right isn't it interesting how some of those
0: concepts will sit and kind of just stew for a very long time before it comes out and becomes something that's really more powerful? It's it's really interesting to me. I've yeah, had the same experiences. I, I think,
1: yeah, I think it's very important to, in order for a book to really resonate for a long time, um, Ryan Holiday has a book called Perennial Seller and that's what I'm aiming to write. It's not a book that hits the number one on Amazon and then is gone. It's a book that people keep buying and buying and buying and buying. And that's more important to me. So yeah, I think you have to write what's on your heart. And what's nice is that after 30 odd books, I still have books of my heart that I want to write. And look, to be honest, if it doesn't sell very much, that's okay, because I'll I'll write another book. And some (laughs) of them work and some of them don't. And I think the more books you have, the less you have to be precious about that, which is good.
0: Absolutely. So speaking of that, obviously you're a wildly successful author and entrepreneur earning multi six figures. (laughs) So with that in mind, what kind of advice do you have for indie authors who are listening who are either just starting out or maybe they're mid-listers and they're looking for a way to you know, hopefully get their their career to you know, maybe not quite multi six figures, maybe they are looking for that, but really just to, to have a career that sustains
1: them a little bit more. Do you have any advice around what worked for you? Yeah, well, I think my, my first piece of advice is uh, think long-term because, you know, I started writing in 2006. I did leave my job in 2011, so it took five years, but I only made, I, I took a massive pay cut it was about an eighth. I was making about an eighth of my salary when I left that to become a writer. That's a big pay cut. Wow.
0: Yes. That is a, that is an absolute like change in lifestyle right there.
1: We (laughs) sold everything. We sold our house, we sold our investment properties. You know, we took a a real chance. It took a decade for us to buy another house. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, I mean, you have to really decide what point, what you're willing to give up for your career but that was five years of writing on the side while doing a day job so that probably the first right. thing is do don't give up the day job like keep it as long as possible and write and get to a point so I you know and then uh what say so 2011 I left my job it was 2015 I started making six figures so that wow. was not nine years of writing before I made yep. six, six figures and then it only took another year to get to multi six figures but that was because at that point the tipping point was into the multi six figures was i had uh a lot of a lot of things so i had a lot of books i had a lot of podcast episodes at that point i'd been podcasting for six seven years so i had an audience um i also had more traffic to my websites which and i had lots of affiliate income uh so yeah so definitely building a long-term business and having that longer-term view is important and also multiple streams of income this is my soapbox and um, right right <laughs> my book um how to make a living with your writing is not just about books it's about all the other things that you can make money from as a writer and that to me is the most important thing because you know amazon changed their algorithm facebook changed their algorithm you know this happens that happens that suddenly vampires aren't popular anymore or <laughs> right. or what happened yeah. to the erotica writers when amazon decided you can't have erotica anymore and you know took it out of the search engine or you know there are lots of things right. that have happened over the years that have impacted different genres or even <laughs> i mean it's classic this year in the pandemic people want bridgerton Regency romance they don't necessarily want darker crime you know they want right. fluffy <laughs> escape
0: <laughs> right they, they yeah. want to be happy
1: <laughs> yeah they, they want that kind of writing so it's really interesting how trends for things go up and down so the best the best thing you can do to control a long term career is to diversify and to have in- income streams that do not relate to each other. And this is exactly the same. If you talk about financial investments, you need to have if this happens, then that can still make you money. And then if this happens, then this can make you money. And that's what right. I have now. So and that takes a lot of time to build. And I think that would be really important for people who want to do this because it, look again it's easy enough to make 10 grand in a month there are plenty of people making 10 grand this month but what yeah. about next month and next month and next month and next year and the year after that so what you want to be building is that sustainable income for the long term not the spike revenue next month and then back absolutely to zero. yep Yep. And that's part of
0: the reason why, um, you know, with rapid releasing, one of the things that I teach on that is to do it in a sustainable way where it's, you know, rather than doing like a book a month because I you know, I don't know about you, but I couldn't do a book a month. I would go absolutely mental. <laughs> so I try to teach my my students who are wanting to, you know, kind of get to the, the point of earning more money faster to do it in a way that's not gonna, you know, put them into a straight out burnout or overwhelm by focusing on just four books a year and trying to do it in a way that is Working in their schedule, whether they're doing a book every quarter or, you know, saving it all up and then, you know, having it all written in advance and then releasing it quickly at the end of the year, let's say, as an example. And it's just a way to another way to be sustainable in the way that they're trying to come at their publishing career. But I love the the way that you're talking about all these different aspects of it, too, like the affiliate income. And being able to do things like that because I don't think a lot of authors, especially new indie authors, really think about affiliate income and the kind of ways that they can pull in money, you know, whether it's Amazon Associates or anything like that until they've been around for a little while. Would mm. you agree?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, th- I think it's much more common with nonfiction authors, but I encourage all fiction authors to write nonfiction. Uh, right. Nonfiction is very sustainable. It sells month in, month out. There, are, it's almost like there are no trends. non-fiction there are always you know there's always x number of people every month who arrive who decide they want to write a book or you know maybe they decide they want to i mean you write urban fantasy right so Mm -hmm. how to write an urban fantasy book there are people coming in the market every single day who want to know that and it might only be you might sell three books a day but if that's three books a day every day forever because this is a market that is a different market to the readers. I mean, to be honest, those are often readers of the genre anyway. So I would definitely, or you write a book about your um, research. So I'm writing, uh, my next novel is Day of the Martyr, which is based on the martyrdom of Thomas Beckett. And I also have nice. a, pil- a pilgrimage book, which will be a nonfiction slash memoir, which will be related to that based on my research. And that again, these wow. cr- crossover books I think I just want to encourage people to be much more open about the possibilities of what you can create. Like it doesn't need to be just a novel in KU, whatever. It can be a podcast series with a sponsor or it can be a a nonfiction book about your research or, you know, I think you've got a witch series, for example, Um, Mm -hmm. you could write a book about the history of witchcraft in America and that reaches a completely different market to Absolutely. which type novels and gives you another stream of income so I want to encourage people to do that and <laughs> back on the rapid release thing I have never rapid released so I, I really uh, it's not something I could ever do or would ever do and I, I think it <laughs> is actually a personality type and mm-hmm. I would say Absolutely. that to people yeah if so if people listening if you don't feel rapid releases for you that's okay like literally all I've ever done is write yep. a book publish it then write another book, and then publish it.
0: <laughs> I love it. I, that's what I did in the very beginning of my career. And it wasn't until mm-hmm. I started realizing that I really enjoyed series that it, it kind of the rapid releasing component kind of really clicked and made sense
1: in my brain. From a reader perspective. So for example, I've got 11 books in my Arcane series. So I've only written, so that's across, I started the first one in 2009. So it's taken like a decade, over a decade to write 11 books of which three are novellas anyway. And of course, if you are a reader following me for that long, it's like, wow, okay, one a year, that's traditional publishing speed, right? But what's interesting, of course, most of us will do a book bub on our first in series and Stone of Fire is free on all ebook platforms. And people find the series now. (laughs) So I might not be rapid releasing, but they're actually discovering an 11 book series now. So for readers, a book is new whenever you discover it. So again, I would just say to people, you can be a relaxed author and realize that it might just take a bit longer, but for readers, the thrill of series and all of that is still there. It just might be a couple of years time.
0: Absolutely. Yep. It's just about having that patience to get the the backlist set to be able to do those things. And I'll say, I, I am so thrilled. When David Goffern was on the, the show, he was talking about the free Booksy uh, series promos. I hadn't tried that before. And I, I just did that um, for the the witches series that we were talking about just a second ago. And I have never seen the kind of long-term Read through that has continued since I did that. Even BookBub hasn't stood a chance. It's it's very interesting to me how readers, you know, when they when they're going in there with that series mindset how they will continue to just like follow the whole thing. It's just been very fascinating. Have, mm. have you tried
1: the, the Free Booksy series promos yet? Oh, yes. I I've, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, Ricky, I know Ricky there and it, they're fantastic. They're absolutely brilliant. Free wow. Booksy, Bargain Booksy, Red Feather Romance. They're all fantastic for people to, to try and kind of add into your promo schedule. And what I'd also say is... um uh box sets box sets are a superpower and if people have not (laughs) done box sets please do box sets like people I know authors some authors think oh it will cannibalize my sales but it doesn't because there are readers of box sets and you know they love them so and if you're wide like I'm wide um box sets make me the most money on Kobo um, and when you do huh. like a book bub on a wide box set, you make tons of money. And then if you have multiple box sets in a series, again, like I have three box sets in my Arcane series and you get bigger chunks of money. Or I even have a nine book box set, um, which is about, you know, you make a ton of money on places like Kobo wow. and Apple because you can price high and still get the 70%. So right. these are all, there are so many different ways to do this career. <laughs> That's, I think, very important. For sure. Oh my goodness. So oh,
0: I'm, I'm like, my brain is just spinning. I'm like, holy cow, that's so, so good. <laughs> so, so valuable to, to people who are listening and not to completely kind of twist things a little bit, but I, I, there's a topic that you have been really into very a lot and you've been very passionate about lately that has, I mean honestly I'm new to it and so I'm going okay I have to learn from you on this <laughs> but it, we're talking about artificial intelligence and how it affects writers and you are very much a futurist you you look into you know the trends that we've seen going on you know in, in our industry and then you take that information you look out even further so that's been it's been very interesting listening to your podcast as of late and you talk about how AI is kind of Diving into all sorts of sectors of our indie author career, or it could. So, could you fill my audience in on some of the biggest ways that you have seen AI uh, impacting the indie author
1: space so far? Yeah, sure. Well, and it's funny because uh, people think, you know, we, we're story lovers, you know, and so people are thinking killer robots and stuff like that. But that's not, <laughs> that's, that's not the AI we're talking about. I mean, all of us use Amazon, right? And Amazon's algorithm is an AI, you know, newsflash people. There's not some load of people sitting there going, ah, I think I should recommend this book to this person. It is an algorithm (laughs) and it is an artificial, I mean, yeah, the word artificial intelligence or the the phrase is not, it's like a blanket term now for so many things, but let's say algorithms. So then of course, as soon as you um, use Amazon to search for a book you are the algorithm is activated once you publish and let's say you use Amazon advertising okay just as a a classic example so I have a number of books in German I used um DeepL which is a a translation engine an AI translation engine to translate the first draft of the books and then I had a human editor and human beta readers then I uploaded them on Amazon these are in KU because I don't know German (laughs) and (laughs) I put Amazon auto ads on that and they just run And many of us use Amazon auto ads, which, again, are an algorithm. (laughs) So what else? I mean, many of us will use um, Google to do research. You know, obviously, their search engine is run by an algorithm. We use Facebook to do advertising or we do, um, you know, connecting with people on Facebook. Facebook is run by algorithms. We all know this. So everyone is already using AI in their author career that is just the way it is and then i mean you could look further into our lives you know netflix is driven by an algorithm and maybe you use uber which is an algorithm or maybe you get food delivered to your house and their whole thing is driven by an algorithm and so there's so many things that people already use like um map map technology to get somewhere in your car is now driven by what's the fastest route that's an algorithm so when we think about the encroachment or the tools, there's a book called Tools and Weapons, and that's how I like to think about it, is AI is a tool and it can be a weapon. We know the positives and negatives of Facebook. We know the positives and negatives of Amazon and Google and all these things and most of us accept them and if we don't we leave the services <laughs> right you know, right. It's, it's like a, a deal with the devil and most of us are taking that because our businesses are built on this um That doesn't mean we shouldn't be activists for change, which we should be, which is partly why I'm heavily engaging with this. Because if you leave it to all the techie people, they're going to screw it up. So we have to to be involved in artificial intelligence. But those are just some examples of the way we are already using AI. And I think why I'm so passionate about talking about it is It's not just our, most of us have other jobs, like most people listening will have a job and what's changing and and particularly the pandemic has accelerated the uh, automation and artificial intelligence rollout in many companies by many, many times. And so uh, what I want people to be aware of is how these things are going to impact our wider lives as well as our author lives and to be prepared for that future and to be ahead of the curve so and and again there are very very positive things and there are things that will be difficult so uh, ai voices are an example so there are very very good ai narrated voices now they're being used in gaming which is obviously a massive industry far bigger than um books uh computer generated actors in the film industry is also a big thing we've got um people run- doing, concerts in Fortnite with avatars I mean it's crazy it it is crazy and I feel like authors are so stuck in a world that was new in 2014 and it's like I'm sorry people you cannot (laughs) think that this is the way it's going to stay and I mean the publishing industry is still obsessed with oh, the digital change to eBooks or digital audio. And this is a decade old now and people are still obsessing about it. Whereas I'm now looking into the 2030s and going okay well how can we prepare for that because this is my full-time career this is my living I want to be doing what I love in a decade in two decades in three I'm only 46 (laughs) right right I I want to be doing this for a while so when I talk about this stuff and it's so interesting you asked because many people do not want to talk about this they want to say oh no everything's fine everything's fine but it will be fine if you know what's coming and you adapt to it. And as absolutely you know, the borrow Kevin Kelly, you know, you surf the wave and not drown in it. And that's my one of my goals has always been in the creative pen to help authors surf the change and not drown in it. So that, that's that's why I'm talking about it. I find it so fascinating. One of the podcasts I, I listened to the other
0: day was about. Well, t- today, this morning, when I was bringing my daughter to, to her big test, uh, she has, she has <laughs> huge MCAs this morning, of course, and I find out yesterday, but um, I was listening to the podcast where you had um, the guy from Google on and you guys were talking about AI technology mm-hmm. and how um, it can actually be applied to reading and narrating audiobooks. hopefully sometime this year, we, we mm-hmm. might have access to that sort of thing but also that you've, you've, I've listened to the podcast about um, co-writing. So AI helping you co-write novels. And so it's like the, the, the possibilities in my mind, I started out as a, a sci-fi fantasy genre bending author. And so for me, it's like, I love, I love sci-fi as well as fantasy and urban fantasy. And so there's a lot of things for me that kind of crisscross. And so of course my, my bringing spins off in this whole new territory where I'm like, how did I not like put this together before. Now I must've had my head under a rock with too many kids or something. <laughs> I don't even know. And so you, you've like blown my mind in the past few weeks where I've been looking at all these things going, this is a, the most incredible thing I've like listened to in a very long time. So oh,
1: good. I'm glad uh, you're enjoying it. I do aim. I, this is the thing after podcasting for gosh, uh, 12 years or something, I have to, I have to come up with ways to keep people's attention. <laughs>
0: Right. Well, you certainly got mine because I'm like, this is just the most amazing thing I have, I have heard in a while. And my husband has been talking for a long time about how, you know, we're going to be having driverless cars very soon. And there's a lot of like futurist stuff that we talk about in our house. And it, it was so weird to me to be sitting here going, okay, I kind of, I kind of thought a little bit about um, the AI narration part of it, but not about AI helping you kind of generate a first draft, for instance and how that could eventually become a thing so that you could write faster and so there's a lot of different things uh, that you you've kind of broached the subject on and I'm going this is just incredible. So what do you think I guess is is the most interesting thing that you're seeing with the whole AI generation and how things are converging right now? Is there one that where you're most excited about it or the prospect of what what what's to come?
1: Uh, I mean, I wrote I this little book uh, a few months ago on artificial intelligence, blockchain and virtual worlds, which... Was what I was aiming to do a podcast on all of these topics, and it, it would, there was, there is so much going on, and you could put all these things in different buckets, you know, like you say, um, GPT-3, which is uh, this technology you're talking about that sort of generates words. And there was an article this week, uh, GPT-3 is generating over 4 billion words per day now. Wow, and there are over 300 companies that have now built. Systems on top of GPT-3 to help generate words. So if you're a content copywriter for a finance journal, I would be very scared. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would be like, okay, or or I would use it to do my job. I would use it to help me write that. Um, it's also licensed to Microsoft. Uh, OpenAI is licensed to Microsoft. So we're going to see this kind of technology come into many areas. There's also an, an open source uh, comparison now. And it's, so this kind of text generation, but I've been trying it myself, I've been in the beta and uh, I think it's a bit like a car, you know, there's a car, it might be a really good car, but that car's just gonna sit there unless you, the human, point it in the direction you wanna go and you say, right, I wanna go visit my mom. And there's a very human reason to, to take that journey and then also you're sure. directing it. So I don't want people to think, oh goodness, the robot's are coming for our jobs. I mean, what you have to think is, (laughs) yeah, how do I work with the robots? But what I would say on writing fast, that's not what I think is important. Okay. It's really important for everyone to realize that you cannot ever write as fast as an algorithm. So these these will be able to generate books you know like I said four billion words per day you cannot right. ever beat the machine so what you have to do is learn to work with the machine to be more human so this is where I'm going with it in that Absolutely. everything we do has to add to us being more human so for example um The uh, blockchain stuff, and I had an article about it, the NFTs or the nifties, you know, this is a way for, for fans to be part of your world, to have digital exclusives, like we do signed hardbacks, for example. So I'm excited about blockchain, because it's going to enable direct sales away from sites like Amazon, away from all of the people who take the, you know, cut in the middle. So I'm excited about GPT 3 because it might give me a different angle on my muse-driven brain. I'm excited right. about AI voice mainly because I want my books in different languages. So I am I narrate my books in English, my nonfiction, but could my voice also narrate my books in German? How right. awesome would that be? <laughs> right. I was listening like, to that. Yeah. yeah. That's exciting. Or things like I'm excited about VR because maybe you and I could do this in VR with a virtual audience and that would benefit people listening to us. But also we could be more human. It wouldn't just be uh, on a screen. We could see the audience. We could interact with them. So everything I'm talking about is not about trying to be more like a machine, as in be more productive or do things faster or it's actually to be more human and that's the only way we're going to be able to keep earning a living in this new world is to is to just you know like a a mug let's say a mug that has fingerprints on from the potter who made it in their local studio will sell for more money than the mass-produced mug out of a Chinese or American factory that is perfect. It's absolutely perfect and has no fingerprints on, but we will pay more on Etsy for the mug with a fingerprint on. And I want us to think about this in the author space. How can I put my fingerprints on my work? It's not, it's, this is the author voice, this is the choice of how you talk to your readers, this is how we connect with each other and how we connect with our audience. So, yeah, I'm excited about technology, but only in the way that it will serve us to be more human.
0: Right. Well, and in some ways, too, it it kind of opens up new new avenues that maybe we wouldn't have been able to do before. Um, you, you had mentioned on your podcast about how, you know, the, the way that some of this uh, AI augmentation for speech for reading for audiobooks can actually help a lot of authors who maybe can't afford to do audiobooks or don't mm. have the time to read their own audiobooks and they still wanna enter the, the that market space until maybe they're they're earning more or have a little more experience and feel more comfortable doing it, you know, you know what I mean? So it's like it opens up other possibilities too that maybe they wouldn't have otherwise had, which is really beneficial to them.
1: Yeah, and also the audience. I mean, if you think about, we're very lucky in inverted commas to speak English. Audio in in English is very developed. We do have a lot of choice to listen to audiobooks in English. In most countries in the world, in most languages in the world, they do not have an audiobook ecosystem like we do. Like I was listening to a woman from Ghana when I went to Frankfurt Book Fair and she said, you know, in in the Ghanaian languages, there are no narrators or studios and people can't listen to books in their own language wow. and that's it's just wrong and it Great. drives me it, it makes me very sad it makes me very angry that people uh resist AI voices because they are being protectionist of an ecosystem that is uh very skewed towards English language speakers and a particular type of English language speakers whereas there are lots of communities who would benefit also I would like my books to be available in every language and every voice even like I've said um you know you're an American woman um you know and I'm a British woman people prefer different voices so why can't they have a choice like you have a choice on your GPS system or your assistant Which I always to- turn
0: to the British one because I like to well, make it I like to pretend he's Jarvis. My husband's from England, so I'm like, I, I gotta listen to the Jarvis version. Well,
1: exactly. Yeah. So you yeah. choose what, what you like. And I think that's very important. So we have to the the what this comes down to though is licensing. So for example, if people sign an exclusive contract with a site like ACX, you're you have signed away the ability to create an AI version of that book. Or if you've signed with a publisher, you've probably signed away story rights, entire audio rights to the whole thing. Whereas I think what we need to start thinking is when we do uh, audio rights, we need to say, be very specific about, okay, I'm signing this contract for human single voice narrated in British English within maybe world territory so that Ah. we can start to split out audio rights. So my goal will be to have, um, let's say my AI book, for example, there is a version that is human narrated by me. Now I should also, I would also like to have an AI narrated version where you can change the voice to whatever you want. Um, And that is amazing. yeah, I might license that to Google, for example. And they would turn that into whatever they're going to turn it into. And then maybe one of my novels could be a full cast audio with music generated by someone or produced or whatever. And that's another audio, right? So again, this is about expanding your mind. It it drives me nuts how people get obsessed with Kindle eBooks in America. It's like, yes, yeah. It's just one tiny, tiny part of your intellectual property ecosystem and the potential that is coming in the next decade. Please just, <laughs> just try Raise. not to sign away all this stuff. <laughs> I'm even amazed
0: how many people will forgo paperback books. Yes, up. like, really? exactly.
1: Yeah. I <laughs> what are you doing?
0: <laughs> <laughs> you're missing a whole area like that's super easy to fit, fill right now. <laughs> you yes, don't have any. Even. It,
1: it, it is yeah. crazy. I mean, even um, I, was, I was laughing, even this was a few years ago, Now I was talking with an audio producer, and we were talking about worldwide English rights. So at the moment, people assume the definition of worldwide English. Um, but what about, you know, we've got companies like uh, Virgin and Elon Musk and people, they're going to be people going in above our atmosphere uh, right. into sp- space tourism, right? So where's the license for off world rights for right can can people actually listen to your audiobook on the way out of our atmosphere because if you've licensed worldwide english does that apply um so this is stuff like that is like you write sci-fi it's hilarious to kind of consider this but we should. <laughs> we,
0: we absolutely should because at some point it could become a very real thing that we need to be talking about.
1: Exactly. Oh. And we all like, you know, we love to create, but we're also business people. We want to make money. So hell yeah. yeah. You know, you can, you can um, at the moment you can license your work to be played on a, on an airplane flying from the UK to the US, right? You can, you can license sure. it to be part of the in-flight entertainment system. But why can't we license to a flight that goes out? of our atmosphere and again I just yeah. I, people listening probably like this is ridiculous but <laughs> so much so much has changed in the last decade so I, again I've been doing this yeah. I first self-published in early 2008 so 13 years ago as we talk now and so much has changed so much it blows my mind how much is changed so far and how much change is coming so I just as we almost out of time. I just want to say to people, just keep your mind a bit open to the possibilities ahead and make sure that you can take advantage of these things as they come. Well
0: I think it's so incredible that you have such such a powerful insight into that future because it really helps not only um, you know, people like me who are interested in it, but people who are listening to this podcast who maybe haven't even, you know, maybe they don't even have a, a sci-fi bone in their body, but are thinking, holy cow, I didn't have any grasp on the fact that me just writing this, you know, mystery book could one day become something so much bigger. I mean, it, it opens up so many possibilities in in our minds and how we can actually embrace indie authorship and how we, as the entrepreneurs can actually take it to that next level. Should we choose to really kind of, like you said, ri- follow that tide and, and rise with it versus like drown in it. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for pioneering that. I I, I really, like I said, it when I was first starting to listen to some of the episodes that you had, it just blew my mind. And so I've been binging so many of them trying to wrap my head around it and get like kind of clear on, on the direction that everything could possibly go. And it's just, I love it. I love learning new things like this. So it's been really incredible. So thank you for doing all of that.
1: Oh, thank you. Glad you're finding it interesting.
0: Absolutely. Well, like I said, thank you so much for sharing so many of your insights and your time with us today. I, I personally appreciate it. And I know that my audience does too. Where can my audience find out more about you, about what you do, uh, get involved with your podcast again, uh, your books, all that stuff? Where can I send them to?
1: Sure. Well, uh, The Creative Pen Podcast, Pen with a double N. And my books are Joanna Pen and uh, JF Pen on all the stores. And yeah, probably. uh, And if you have any questions, Twitter is my best platform at The Creative Pen.
0: That's fantastic. Thank you so much, Joanna. I really, really appreciate you being here.
1: Oh, thanks for having me.
0: Well, I don't know about you, but I am extremely blown away by the possibilities we indie authors have on the horizon, thanks to Joanna's insights. Even if you don't find the talk on AI and how it might impact some of the ways we do business in the future, as interesting as I do, (laughs) I hope you'll at least tuck it away in your back pocket as something to look into later on. Not everyone can be early adopters of things, I get that. AI augmentation authorship, for example, might be one of them. But... Understanding where the world is moving and the trends that are heading our direction could turn out to be a make-or-break decision as time marches on. But, again, only time will tell. Joanne has been around for a long while, and she's seen the changes we indie authors have had to endure this past decade. Because of this, and her love of futurist thinking, she is the perfect person to keep your eyes and ears trained on if you want to get a pulse on what's coming down the road for us. We obviously talked about a lot, So I will make sure to have all of the show notes ready for you, including links to Find Joanna and the titles of the books she recommended in the podcast. Head over to AuthorRevolution.org forward slash 79 to check them out. And be sure to check out Joanna's podcast, The Creative Pen, pen spelt with two N's, as well as her books and novels. You will be so glad you did. Now, as I said in the introduction, Joanna has been an inspiration of mine and someone I have frequently turned to for new information and insights into our work as indie authors. She has an incredible mind and I love the way she follows her muse and documents all she learns so we can learn right there along with her. Well, guys, that's all I have for this week. I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did. Until next week, go forth and start your author revolution.